Welcome to Bakersfield First Assembly of God's podcast. We are so excited that you joined us today. Our lead pastor, Pastor James Lair, is fired up and ready to preach. I hope you enjoy this sermon. Is it well with your soul today? I hope so, because it doesn't matter what's happening. We can, it can still be well with our soul. We've been studying this for months now, and this is the last sermon in the Well series. And so this is it. But we're going to go from here into studying the book of Zechariah. I'm fired up about the book of Zechariah. Hopefully that'll start next Sunday. It's well with my soul. Perhaps one of the best known stories about a well was the woman at the well that Jesus met. And she was a Samaritan woman with a sinful reputation. But Jesus offered her living water so she would never thirst after the things of the world again. And so this woman put her faith in Jesus Christ as the Messiah, and it changed her life. In fact, she left her water jar, she ran back to town, the same town that people hated her in. She ran back to town and told everyone about Jesus and what he had done for her. And as a result, this is what happened. Look at John 4:39. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. And here's what we glean from this passage this morning. Many of the people in that town believed in Jesus because of the woman's testimony. Now remember, this this woman was sinful. She'd been married five times. She was shacking up with another guy at the time, and she was not well-liked in that town because of her sinful life. And yet when she came and told them about Jesus, they believed her. This This is incredible. Many people believed because of the testimony of one woman. All it takes is for one person to testify about the goodness of God. All it takes is one person to tell about the grace of God. And many will believe. Just understand the power of one voice. And when we add more voices to that, and even this person who had this bad reputation, she was able to testify about Jesus Christ. Now, why would they believe her? With her background, with what she had done in the past, they all knew her. They all knew her past. Why would they believe her? I believe that they chose to believe, in, believe her because of the change in her life. The change in her countenance. How many know you can shine Jesus through your face? Or you can shine something else entirely, right? Is the, the, you know, the eyes are the window of the soul and so is that mug we have. You, know, you can tell what's going on just by looking at it. But I believe this woman came back to town. Remember, she was hiding she came to the well at midday so no one would be there. She, t- she lived her life in secrecy and shame. And she lived her, her life in hiding because she had such a reputation and was hated by so many. But this time, she comes back to town and she's on fire. She's not ashamed. Something's happened in her life. It's obvious, it's dramatic that her life has changed. Her countenance is different. Because here's something I have learned. Number one, you cannot argue with a changed life. Oh, you may be able to debate theology with me. You may be able to argue different 
doctrines and beliefs, but when somebody's life is changed, that's evidence of the power of God in their life. You can't argue with a changed life. You can try to remind people about their past, but when Jesus saves them and gives them a new life and a new future, how can you beat that? How can you deny that? And so just know this for yourself. You may not know much about the Bible, but if you've accepted Jesus Christ in your life, you can testify about the goodness of God. And who can argue against that? Because when a person accepts Jesus as their personal savior, he will begin to change you. I'm gonna warn you right now. If you're thinking about coming to Christ, if you do, he's gonna mess with your life. I mean, you've heard this saying, God accepts us as we are, but loves us enough not to leave us that way. Oh, he accepts you just as you are. We sing the old hymn, just as I am. But that is not just how we're going to be forever because God is going to come in our life, rearrange things, change things, because we're to become more like Christ. We've been living like the devil. How about we live like Jesus? Well, that's going to require some changing. Now, when I married Jolene, things began to change in my life. Namely, my wardrobe. This turned out to be a very good thing, but I fought it at the beginning. But thankfully to her, you can thank her because otherwise I'd still be wearing bell bottoms and platform shoes. Man, I love those platform shoes. Those were awesome. I felt so tall in those. I don't know why she would make me change those. And even now I may buy a shirt or something without checking with her. And it will mysteriously disappear from my closet. Vanish. I've even found my, I've even found some of my clothes hidden in the garage. It's like, wait a minute, that's mine. How did this get out here? It's so funny. In first service, I was sharing this, and Rich and Pat House, who are a great part of our church, Rich is one of our board of directors, he told me a story, and I, asked, I got permission to use it. I texted him in between services, Rich, can I tell your story? He said, yeah, you can even embellish it if you want to. So I may, I just may add some things to it but he said that he went into a thrift store and he was looking through the men's clothes and the men's shirts and he found this flannel shirt and he realized it was his flannel shirt his wife had taken it to to the thrift store without his knowledge and so he said I got to buy it twice I have come to trust that Jolene has more fashion sense than I do. It's okay. But marriage will change you, hopefully for the better. And not only that, for your marriage to thrive, you better be willing to change. The death of many marriages is an unwillingness to change for the right reasons. And so our marriage won't survive unless both husband and wife are willing to adjust and, and compromise and sacrifice. And when we accept Christ, he begins to change us. And remember, we, we said, I surrender all. Did we mean it? Because Jesus heard that. And he steps into our life and says, okay, this has got to go. That is way out of style. That's got to go right now. That is just plain ugly. So that's going out of your life. The change is always for the better. It's not always easy. Sometimes it's actually painful, the change. Because sometimes... Jesus does surgery. He cuts things out of our life that it's painful in the process, but he knows if he leaves that in our life, it will kill us. It will damage us. 
And so the change in our lives, when we begin to change, it's evidence that God is in our heart. That is the evidence that you are a Christian, that you begin to change. Things begin to be different for you. And we see this with Zacchaeus. You know the story of Zacchaeus in the Bible. I love the story of Zacchaeus. I don't know why. I can so relate to this guy. You know, he probably had platform sandals. Because he was a wee little man who was short and couldn't see Jesus and climbed up a tree. You know, we did an Easter play at the church I pastored in Ojai, and we did the story of Zacchaeus, and they didn't even have anybody try out. They just told me, you're it. I was like, thanks a lot. I'm going to the thrift store and get my platform shoes back. And I did. I climbed a tree and everything. Man, I gave it my best. So Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus. And Jesus stopped while he's, while he's hanging like a monkey in the tree. And Jesus said, I'm going to your house to, for lunch today, Zacchaeus. Let's pick it up at Luke 19.7. I love these stories in the Bible. They're so awesome. All the people saw this and began to mutter. He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Wow. Jesus didn't even have to say anything. And this guy starts saying, I'm going to change. In verse 9, Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. Notice Jesus didn't say salvation had come to this house until Zacchaeus got up and said, I'm going to change. I'm going to be a different person. I'm going to be a different man. I'm going to be a man that God can use. And if I've cheated people, I'm going to pay it back four times what I cheated them at. I'm telling you, that's evidence of salvation. When your life begins to change, you don't do the things you used to do because you want to please your Lord and Savior. Transformation is the evidence of a heart that is surrendered to Christ. Now, how many know sometimes that change doesn't always come at once? Sometimes it's, it's a lifetime. It's a process. But we have to be willing to go in the process with the Lord because the Lord won't force it. He won't go against our free will. But if we, we say, Lord, Change this part of my life. Buckle up, because he's gonna. And it'll always be for our good. How many know God's change is always good? We may not understand it. We may not always like it. But he knows what he's doing. You can't deny the impact and effect of a changed life. And God wants to make us witnesses just by the changes in our life. In addition, number two, never discount the power of a personal testimony. The woman who had this sordid past now had a different story about her life. She had this story. She was the Liz Taylor of the day. Young folks need to Google that, who Liz Taylor is. She married like eight times. She married five times, had this reputation. That was her story. Then she met Jesus and her story changed. It became her testimony. This is who I was. And then I met Jesus and now this is who I am. That's a testimony. She had a story she could tell people, I was lost, but now I'm found. The man born blind in John 9 said this about Jesus when he healed him. He said, all I know, I don't know who the guy was, but all I know is I was blind and now I see. Change, healing, deliverance. See, that's what, that's what will speak to people. 
Not just your words, but when your life changes and how you use your words and how you treat people. It's one of the greatest witnesses we can be. Now, we may not know much, but we know this. I was blind, but now I see I was lost, but now I'm found. I was dead in sin, but now I'm alive. We simply testify about what Jesus has done for us. That's, all, that's what your story is. You don't have to get all deep and theological. I mean, you just tell your story. Tell who you were. Tell what happened when you met Jesus. And tell who you've become. And who God's going to make you. I love hearing a, person, a person's personal spiritual journey. Don't you love hearing it? I mean, everybody's different. When you say, how did you come to know Christ? Tell me your spiritual journey. Man, I, I thrive on that because it's just amazing how God is so creative and how he saves people in so many different ways. It's just awesome. I love listening to Teen Challenge testimonies. Amen. Anybody with me on that? Ladies, you fire me up. And you're good for us because those old fogies like me, they've been saved forever. Sometimes we forget the joy of our salvation. And you help us remember. Thank you. Because that's the power of a testimony. There is so much power. Look at Revelation 12, 11. You know this well. They overcame him, speaking of Satan, the accuser, by the blood of the lamb, and by the word of their testimony. We're going to take communion later, and we're going to remember that the blood of the lamb overcomes Satan. And they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. There is power in our testimony when we share our story of how Jesus saved us and changed us, it helps us overcome the accuser. Because Satan's the accuser. He's the one that tells you, you're not going to make it. You're not really forgiven. Oh, you blew it again. You will be like this forever. He's the accuser, and he accuses day and night. He brings up our past. He brings up our mistakes. But we fight back by saying, that's who I was, but that's not who I am. Hallelujah. I have a testimony now, Satan. You're an accuser. And he will have to flee from you when you share your testimony. Amen. And we all have one. Even if you're like me, raised in the church, born on a stinking Sunday. Only, only church service I ever missed in my whole life. <laughs> and raised in a wonderful Christian home. But you know what? There have been challenges that Jesus has seen me through. I have a testimony. We all have a testimony. All God's children got a testimony. You remember those old testimony services we used to have? Those scare pastors to death. Because you never know what somebody is going to say. And some testimonies should be kept personal. That's okay. That's, that may be your testimony. But that part of your testimony, just share in privacy, okay? And that's why we don't do testimony services anymore. Because, oh Lord. The things I could tell you. And the, the things I couldn't tell you. But there is power. Even in those testimony services, how many of we were encouraged? Because we heard someone else's story of God's answer to prayer. So we know need to always be ready to give our testimony at any given time. You need to be ready. When I was in government sales, I went to a training conference on how to do business with Los Angeles and one of the things they stressed is the importance as, as a government salesman to create and memorize a 30-second elevator pitch. 
So in 30 seconds, you should be able to say who your company is and why they need you. Because you've got that 30 seconds in the elevator to give your pitch. And so I worked on that, being able to share what my, who I am, what my company is, and what we can do for them in 30 seconds, because that may be all I have. I think we need to be prepared to have a 30-second testimony, yeah. elevator testimony, where because you never know. Somebody's going to jump in that elevator and God's going to nudge you and say, okay, time to share the sales pitch. I was lost and now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. And so the Bible tells us that we're always to be ready to share our testimony. Look at 1 Peter 3.15. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Don't beat them over the head with your 95-pound Bible. <laughs> but you should always be ready. And what you, you should be ready to give them the reason for the hope. This is the key. We, of all people, should have hope. Now, we're living in a day and time that's just crazy. People are so afraid. You know, what's the next thing that's going to happen? Oh, no, it's the Delta variant. I want you to know I'm not afraid of the Delta variant because Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. The Delta, these are all Greek letters, Alpha, Beta, Gamma, Delta, Epsilon, Zeta, Eta, Theta, Iota, Kappa, Lambda. I still remember it from my Greek class. And you know what? I may get, if I get the Delta variant, that's, that's fine. But in the meantime, I'm not going to live in fear. We, we have to have hope. This world is looking for hope. And if they can't find hope in the church, where will they go? And so we need to have more hope in our life. And I don't have time to develop this this morning because the Bible tells us how we develop hope. It doesn't just come naturally. It is a process of perseverance and endurance. And I, again, I don't have time to go into that tonight, but I want to challenge you that in your 30-second test, testimony, show the hope that you have in Jesus Christ. Because this world is looking for hope. Especially now. Instead of fear, we have hope. And part of the woman's testimony was this. She said, he told me everything I ever did. Now, at first blush, this may turn some people off. You know... We don't want someone knowing everything about us and broadcasting it to the whole town. But I don't think that's what she meant. I don't think she was saying, yeah, he told me about all my sins and everything bad I had done. I think what she is saying is, he gets me. He understands me. He knows me even with all my faults and past failures. And yet he still loves me and accepts me. And so when she said, come and see the man that told me everything I ever did, it wasn't so they could hear about her sordid past. It was to come and hear about the one who knows you and yet still loves you. Now think about it. Someone in your life, if you knew everything they ever thought about you, would, would you still love them? <laughs> Might be a little difficult if you knew everything what somebody thought about you. But you know, God knows everything we've done and will ever do, and yet he still loves us. Wow. And so that's what she was saying. And the Message Bible captures this perspective. Look at John 4, 39. Many of the Samaritans from that village committed themselves to him 
because of the woman's witness. He knew all about the things I did. Here it is. He knows me inside and out. My third point, God knows us, yet still loves us. He knows our mistakes. He knows our weaknesses. And yet nothing can keep us from the love of Christ. God knows everything about us, every detail, every nuance. Look at Psalms 139, verse 4. This is such a great psalm. Oh, Lord, you have searched me, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going in and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, oh, Lord. Is that incredible? God knows what we're going to think before we think it. He knows what we're going to say before we say it. He knows everything about us. He's searched our heart. He knows every detail. He knows everything. He even knows our mistakes and our sins, and yet he still loves us. And this woman's testimony had such an impact on this community of people, so much so that they came to Jesus and said, stay with us. And Jesus did. And many more became believers. Remember, Jews and Samaritans didn't even speak to each other. They wouldn't even travel in each other's territories. Jesus not only spoke to the Samaritans, he stayed with them. He stayed for two days. He ate with them. He fellowshiped with them. He stayed in their homes. This is incredible. Jesus and his disciples stayed with these people that, they, that, that their groups would say you shouldn't be with. This would have been scandalous to the Pharisees, the religious leaders. Not only that Jesus talked to a Samaritan, he talked to a Samaritan woman, he talked to a Samaritan woman with a bad reputation, and then he stayed the night in the town with the people for two days. They would have thought it was terrible. But here's something. When you follow the ministry of Jesus, you see this fact very clearly. Number four, Jesus was a friend of sinners. Aren't you glad? Because that means he's a friend of you and me. We're all sinners. Saved by grace. Jesus hung out with sinners. He ate with them. He spent time with them. In fact, the Pharisees criticized him for this. Look at Matthew 9, 9. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told them, and Matthew got up and followed him. And while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Did you hear that? God's heart is first and foremost mercy. And so should ours be. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. You know, how else can sinners get saved if they don't have any Christian friends? How, were, how will your neighbors get saved if they don't have any Christians in their neighborhood? You see, this is what we're called to be. We're to, we're to be like Jesus. Now, when I lived and worked in North Dakota, you've got to understand I've been pastoring for 30-plus years. And part of my job was to take people out to, 
to dinner and to uh, take my employees out to dinner. And so they ate dinner a little differently than I was used to. It had a lot of beverages mixed in. And here I am, and some of these folks are three sheets to the wind. Look that up on Google. And they, I mean, and I'm like, I'm, I'm feeling really uncomfortable. I haven't, I haven't been in this kind of company since high school. I've been a preacher my whole adult life. And so here I am, and they're eating and drinking, and, and, and I'm really uncomfortable. And I'm thinking, oh, Lord, if the church people could see me now, oh, my goodness. And I really struggled with it at first. Now, I want, I want you to understand, when you're with sinners, you don't have to participate in their sin. You can be with sinners and not share in their sin. And so I struggled with this, and I prayed about it. Lord, how am I going to do this? I'm not used to this. This makes me very uncomfortable. And I felt the Lord say to me, Jesus ate with sinners, and so should you. And I got set free. From then on, I was, I was a friend of sinners too. Jesus died to save them. Finally, the people of the town say this. We no longer believe just because of what the woman said. Now we've heard for ourselves. And we believe he's the savior of the world. I want you to understand that a testimony is important but you can't get to heaven on someone else's testimony. You have to have your own. You have to make the commitment to Jesus Christ for yourself. I don't care what kind of family you were raised in. I don't care if your second great uncle was a preacher. You gotta have your own testimony. You gotta have your own story. You've gotta come to the cross yourself. You have to believe in Jesus and receive him for yourself. Look at 1 John 4, 14. This is the same author of the book of John. He wrote these letters. He was one of the disciples of Jesus, and he said, we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him, and he in God. If you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, God will live in you. And you will have hope. And you won't have to be afraid. I'm, there's nothing wrong with taking precautions. I'm not getting on a political soapbox here. I'm just here to tell you, as believers in Jesus Christ, we don't have to be afraid. We have hope. No matter what happens. No matter, even if we go home to be with Jesus, how many know that's worth it all? That's the greatest healing of all, is to go home with the Lord. We're going to take communion at this time. And I just want to let you know, if you have never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you can do it right now. You can give him your heart and life. You can believe. You may not know everything that the Bible is going to say. That'll come. But you need a testimony. You need a story you can tell others. This is who I was. And then Jesus came into my life and this is who I will become. And so if you have asked Jesus into your heart, you're welcome to partake of communion. That's all that's required. You don't have to be a member of the church. You just have to be a member of the family of God. And if you haven't accepted Jesus, you can do it right now. 
Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? If you want to give your life to Jesus Christ, if you want to say, I believe, would you just raise your hand? Anyone in this place? You want to give your heart and life to Christ? Anyone at all? Would you hold the bread at this time? It can be a challenge to get it out. I'm having a struggle here myself. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that this piece of bread represents your body that was sacrificed for me, for us. And Jesus, you paid the price so we don't have to. You died on the cross so we could have a testimony of how you've changed our life. And so we're grateful today. And as we eat this bread, we remember the sacrifice you made. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you take the bread? Let's pray over the juice. Lord Jesus, we thank you for shedding your blood. That's what this juice represents. You shed your blood to forgive our sins. We don't, may not understand it, but we know it's true. And so God, I just ask that we would be so grateful and we would never forget the price you paid in sending your son. And we also realize this is a reminder that you're coming again. And Lord, I believe we're living in the last days. Lord, we're seeing things happen around the world, God. Prophecy is being unfolded right before our very eyes. And so as we drink this juice, we're saying we're ready. We're ready for your coming, Jesus. Come soon, come quickly. We are ready. And Lord, in the meantime, there are more people you wanna save. And so use this, Lord, for our friends, our neighbors, our coworkers, Lord. Let us plant those seeds. Let us share our testimony. I was blind, but now I see I was lost, but now I'm found. I was dead in my sin, but now I'm alive. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Would you drink the juice? Would you stand with me? After I give the blessing, you're welcome to come to the altars and pray or stay at your seats and worship or to be dismissed. The Lord bless you and keep you Lord, make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Thank you for tuning in today. We are so excited that you joined us. If you chose to say yes to Christ today, we would love for you to text the word born again, all one word to 94090. By doing so, you will receive more information on your next steps in following Christ. We meet every Sunday at 8.30 and 11 a.m. right here in Bakersfield, California at 4901 California Avenue. We would love for you to join us in person. Also, we have a live stream service at 11 a.m. every Sunday morning. You can find us on YouTube and Facebook. If you'd like more information about Bakersfield First Assembly of God, you can search us on the internet at bakersfieldfirst.com. Thank you for joining us today and have a blessed week.